Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 49th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this Strawberry Moon episode, we'll be discussing love and monogamy. I'll be interviewing Molly Apple and Joe Dunn, authors of Wild Monogamy. Then I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is Venus in Furs by Leopold von Sacher Masuk. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for love. But first, let me share with you some reflections on my own vision of love and relationships. One of the best things about being a podcaster is that I get to speak to the best people, people who really inspire me, and many people who have what I want, and I find that incredibly inspirational. Another thing that I love is that I don't have to do anything to get guests. I have people queuing up to be on this podcast, which is a wonderful, wonderful situation to be in. I have so many um, interviews already stacked up in the pile. <laughs> that sounds a bit bad. So I, I've actually decided to change the order of um, publication. And today I'm going to be speaking with um, Molly and Joe. And they are the authors of Wild Monogamy, and they weren't scheduled for the next um, the next show, but I thought I would do them this time because this week has been love week. On Monday, I went to see Jay Shetty in Barcelona, and his show was called Rules of Love. It's loosely based on the book, Eight Rules of Love, which I've already spoken to you about on this podcast. I've already reviewed the book. And I was very surprised about um, comparing the show with the book because I only I've only just finished chapter two, and that's it's, I'm telling you it's super triggering. And as there are eight rules of love, I was thinking mm, it's a pity that I haven't finished the book before the actual event. But I realised that the event was actually very different. The book is more focused on romantic love, whereas the event was about all types of love. It was talking about loneliness, solitude self-esteem, self-respect, self-care. I mean, some relationship stuff, obviously. Um, and then couples, um, they were, he was taking lots of people out of the audience to, to see how well they knew their partner, different stories of heartbreak, and also family love, friend love. And um, so there were moments of laughter and many moments of tears. Oh my God, I cried so much in this in this event. Um, luckily, my makeup is pretty good because it didn't actually smudge at all, but I wasn't the only one. Many people were triggered by the whole thing. Um, yeah, it was very, very, very emotional and very thought-provoking as well. It makes you think about, you know, how important love is in your life, not just um, romantic love, but, you know, having good friends, good support and a good emotional basis. And especially really, what's really important, of course, is self-esteem. And one thing that really surprised me about this whole event um, is that 
You know, to be talking about love and being an expert in it, he wasn't really talking about his own experience. It wasn't based on, oh, I have a relationship, so I'm an expert. Because I do know people who who are in that field and their whole, um, you know, philosophy is based on or their, their whole being or or um, professional life is based on the fact that they've actually manifested a relationship so that it makes them an expert. However, Jay Shetty's show was all about citing psychological um, studies and science and it was very 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 interesting and um, yeah it was uh, it was very 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 entertaining and it was about three hours long and I, we were on the almost the fr- front row I went with um, with some of my goddess friends we all dressed in red and then we learned that red is the color for love well I kind of knew that anyway so so that was a an experience and then just last night I spoke with Molly and Joe, the uh, Molly Molly Apple and Joe Dunn, who are the authors of Wild Monogamy, Cultivating Erotic Intimacy to Keep Passion and Desire Alive. I didn't finish that book either, but um, there are many thought-provoking topics in that book um, that really focus on how to create a greater connection within a relationship. So both of these books are quite complementary. And I think you can read them if you're single or if you're in a partnership. And it's kind of interesting to kind of get to know the other other person. There are many exercises in it as well. And it's there are many tips about how to push your edges, how to make monogamy spicy. And it doesn't just uh, focus on the author's experience. They also profile many, many, many people because they are also relationship coaches. So that's very, very, very interesting. Anyway, after we I spoke to them last night, I was so inspired and seeing as the theme of my life right now is about love, I'm so interested in the topic, um, I thought I would change up my my publishing, my public um, schedule for my podcast and fast forward this interview. So last night I wrote on Facebook, um, on a post on Molly and Joe's Facebook page, I said, it was so nice to speak with you both. I can't wait to publish it. And they wrote to me, they wrote back, it was lovely. You sure know your stuff around relationships. And I was thinking, me? Seriously? I don't know anything. This is probably the least performing area of my life. It's the area that um, I've paid least attention to over the years. And there are many reasons behind that. Maybe some of it is about trauma from the past, a lot of fear, fear of losing control, and also maybe a lack of self-esteem, which took me a while to actually um, to actually admit. Because I always thought of myself as someone who who did love themselves, and and, and you know I I do take care of myself, but it's probably not enough. And um, yeah, so that's something I've been thinking about a lot. And also, I'm a, I've also been in the past a bit of a control freak. So I associate the area of relationships with vulnerability, giving up control. And that's that's just scares the hell out of me. And I've also had some bad experiences in the past when I've been living with people and had those moments of just feeling completely helpless and thinking, I want to leave now, but I can't afford to. And I, know lots, I know lots of people go through that in relationships. I read a statistic very that's very scary, saying that fifty nine percent of married women would leave if they had to. So I've I've already been in a situation where I was living with someone and I couldn't afford to leave. So I just said to myself, I'm never doing that again. I'm never putting myself in a vulnerable position like that in a partnership. And I've also thought about relationships as just in the present. I've never thought about them as a future thing. And that's something that 
um, it's a big block because I realized on Monday at this um, show that I've I've been, I've been missing out on so much because of my own lack of self-esteem, my own barriers, my own boundaries, my own resistance. When love is the most beautiful thing you can experience, having that support from someone else and being able to share your vulnerabilities and heal. And that's something that's very intriguing about the book, Wild Monogamy. It talks about how to actually you know, turn your, you know, your self-conscious elements or some of your weaknesses into a strength with your partner and really share um, things that you are feeling self-conscious about and then turn them into an erotic experience, which we'll find out more about during our interview, which is incredibly intriguing. It's almost like sexual romantic, romantic alchemy. Anyway, um, the, the area of romance um, and love has been probably the least performing um, area in my life. And um, a few years ago, I had this thing called the Clever Fox Planner. And they have this wheel that examines several areas of your life, such as your spirituality or your physical life. You know, if you're working out, your health, your friendships, your finance, your work, etc. And And also there is one about romance. And I remember every single month I was doing this monthly report and romance was always really low. And you also have to ask, answer this question, which says, what, which areas were lacking and why? And I remember when I was, you know, giving all these low scores to romance, it wasn't because I was single. I was actually in a relationship and the relationship was, was a, with an amazing guy. And I'm, and I'm still so grateful that I, he was in my life. It was a privilege to have him in my life, but he wasn't the guy. And that kind of held me back a lot. I was so afraid of being alone. And I was also in an almost sexless relationship and me being a sexpert. So I felt that I was making him suffer, but I was also feeling that I was having this in, in a, in internal conflict about my identity. And I was supposed to be a sexpert. And then I've got this guy who's just really hot for me and I just don't want, I just don't desire it. And also the kind of sex that he wanted and what I wanted maybe wasn't always the right thing. I was almost more interested in masturbation, which is really sad because I think sometimes my masturbation practice was a lot more spiritual and he was, you know, wanting a bit more of a physical uh, connection with me. So that was, uh, that was very, very, very difficult to deal with. Anyway, in this notebook, I came across this list for my ideal man and I just read it. I wrote, I wrote this in 2021 and I kind of felt a little bit shocked when I came across it. And um, I'd written this list after reading the book, Calling in the One. And that book is um, another amazing book if you are looking for a relationship and, or, or looking to do some healing to get ready for a relationship. It's a 49-day course. I think I probably talked about it before on this podcast because I just think it's amazing. And every day you read about three pages. They're all on different topics. Um, each, um, each day is a different topic. And there's some short practical exercise to do. So it's really serious. You kind of really examine a lot of your um, childhood traumas, your relationship traumas, some of your resistance, etc. And you make a list about how you want that person to make you feel. The list is not about he has to be tall, it has to be this, has to be that. It's more about how you're feeling. Anyway, I wrote this list about Mars and Mars, my Venus and Mars is going to be, the first thing I wrote was, he makes me feel like I've come home. I think that's a really beautiful thing to aspire to in a relationship. You know, someone that makes you feel like you've you've met, um, met that piece of the jigsaw, you know what I mean? Not that we are missing pieces, because that's very important as well. It's very important to be whole and and feel that um, 
you know, someone else is adding to you, not filling you, if you see what I mean. Uh, I think that's so, so, so important. Because in the past, I think I've had nothing else going on in my life and the relationships I've had have been the main thing and they've made me feel empty when I don't have them. And that's, that you shouldn't really have that. But anyway, this um, feeling like you've come home, this feeling of comfort, um, stability, and just support, I guess, would, would be what I would describe that as. And um, and also the second point was he has a flexible schedule. He's in charge of his time. That's really, really important to me because I have, I, that's the kind of lifestyle that I have. And I've been with someone who had the complete opposite and it was so, so, so hard to actually make time to see each other. And um, yeah, always time ticking and looking at clocks and in a rush. And, and I don't really like that. I like to really kind of be chilled with my time. I think time is one of the greatest assets, one of the most valuable asset that we have. And I like to use it in a non-stressful way. And point number three, which is, um, I'm surprised it's not earlier on, but we are sexually compatible. This is so, so, so important to feel that sexual compatibility because sexual energy is life force energy. And I know many couples who don't have that and they're just kind of I don't know, flatmates. And who would want, I, I, for me, it's very, very important to have that passion and desire um, because if not, then what's the point? I mean, I've uh, been in relationships when I've been the one wanting more or they've been the one wanting more. And it's a very difficult space to be in when that happens. Um, another point I wrote was he enjoys conscious living. I definitely describe myself as a conscious living person. So I'm interested in you know eating healthily, um, reading good books and um, yeah, just uh, conscious living, just enjoying every moment in a conscious way and in a mindful way. And conscious living can refer to many things as well about sustainability, not being materialistic because I'm more about, I think um, I wouldn't describe myself as a materialistic person at all, although I do like some, some of my comforts, but um, I'm more about just enjoying every moment. That's more important to me. And then the last of a lot, not least, is he's living life on the abundance frequency. Yeah, you don't want to be with someone on the scarcity frequency, always in the lack frame of mind, because I think it's really important about who we spend our time with, because they can definitely influence us. And I've been with people who are more abundant and less abundant than me. It doesn't really make that much difference, because I've never really shared abundance in terms of um, I just I just like that abundance is not just about money. It's a lot more than that. And I'm just feeling that things are limitless is really cool. Um, I was with a friend this earlier this week who's definitely not on the abundance frequency. And I remember just um, I used to see this person every day at work. And um, that lack of abundance mentality kind of is like a fearful, the scarcity. And that can maybe can influence me. And um, but I do feel like the like the abundance mindset is my, makes me think bigger as well. So I do like to um, kind of bounce off that mentality for sure and not have limits. And that's my list. Anyway, it was very very interesting. But going back to um, the wild monogamy um, book, uh, I read I did I read a little extract as well from it um, on TikTok this week. And it talks about the four arenas of, of I think it was love. Um, anyway, so, or, or was it sex? I can't remember, but I guess they're kind of similar, similar things. And it talks about, you know, there being a physical, uh, the physical plane, then the physical arena, the heart, the head, and then the soul. And, and I think sometimes um, 
when you um, transcend the physical and you have a mental connection or emotional connection, a soul connection with someone, it's much more easy to actually aspire to or enjoy monogamy because when you get into that space of that person fulfilling something that goes beyond the physical, it's very difficult to replace. I remember when I had my very first relationship um, the guy I was with was in my head. He was in my heart. He was in my soul. It was just the most incredible experience that I'd ever, ever, I'd ever imagined. And there was just no way I could imagine being with anyone else. Um, whereas if you're just on the physical plane, then it's it's just not as satisfactory. But then there's this thing called one-itis, which definitely has a, a bad reputation. Let me find if um, see if I can find a, a definition for it. Um, I found something on the um, on the Urban Dictionary, and one-itis is um, when you think there's only one person for you, an unhealthy romantic ex- obsession with a with a single person. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's such a bad thing, but I mean, obviously, it's saying it's unhealthy here. Um, one thing that um, Jay Shetty said as well: there's not the perfect person or the perfect relationship, but there's also about it's about choosing that person every day. But um, in general, I definitely um, I remember having one itis for for the my the first guy I was ever with. But I don't think it's such a bad thing when you are. Um, well, obviously, it's bad if you break up with that person. You can't see that there's, there are any more possibilities. But um, but I think it's beautiful to actually just desire genuinely um, desire one person. I don't think monogamy should be something that you impose on someone else or someone imposes it on you. I think it should be something that you choose freely. Yeah, so that's all about love. Anyway, um, I'm gonna be, we'll be speaking now with Molly and Joe, and they are such an inspirational couple. And I hope you find them as inspirational as I do. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Molly Apple and Joe Dunn authors of Wild Monogamy. Molly and Joe, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for taking part in this interview today. Could you please introduce yourselves and tell us what you do? Sure. So- I'm Joe. This is Molly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been writing books for about uh, 12 years. A, lo- a long time. Yeah. And yeah. um after we wrote our first one, The Soulmate Experience, we started doing coaching, uh, typically of singles looking for relationships, but also of couples generally who are in a good relationship and want to make it better. And that's where our newest book, Wild Monogamy, came from. Oh, that's really interesting about the uh, the Soulmate Experience, because I've been reading this book, um, thinking about it from a, a couple's perspective, someone, a couple that's already established. And so what advice can you give for singles looking for soulmates? That's really intriguing. I think I'll read that one next. Do you have anything you can share? I think one of my biggest tips is when you when you hear most relationship coaches talk, they, dating coaches, they always tell you to make a list. This is their... Okay. And I've found so many times in coaching people that that list turns out to be a list of limitations. Okay, explain. And we had those lists going for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you would have had on your list. I would have had on my list no redheads, believe it or not. <laughs> okay. What's wrong with redheads? <laughs> well, there, there's nothing wrong with redheads, I've come to find out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In fact, I'm more attracted to them than ever. <laughs> okay. 
And I, I would have had on my list that the guy would have had to have a college education to interest me. Okay. I would have never met him on an app where I ticked a box that said, well, at least four years of college. Yeah, yeah. He's a brilliant man. He didn't need a college education. <laughs> okay. It was a waste of time for him. <laughs> but, but I find in my experience, sometimes when you have these lists and then you go for something or do something completely different, it can impact you more because you're kind of going against your own, you know, your own rules kind of thing. Did you find that as well? Well, I think one of the things is that the things that should be on lists are the things that should be on everybody's lists. You're looking for somebody who's going to support you, who's going to love you, who isn't going to cheat on you, and all of those who's things. Who's a good person, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Those should just be baseline. That's what we're looking for in a relationship. So it's the things beyond that where I always find that if people bring a little more creative, creativity, creative thinking to those ideas, they can expand the possibilities for themselves. Okay. Anything else you could want to share before we start getting into the monogamy? Yes. That's why another reason we wrote wild monogamy is because we were finding that so many people were not finding people who were interested in a long-term connection, primarily because of the impending boredom <laughs> that okay. they yeah. anticipating. <laughs> Excellent. So I'll come, we'll come to that in a, in a moment. Um, when I first came across your content, I was blown away by this glow and union and energy that you both share. And I assumed that you were a new couple. Then I learned you've been together for over 20 years. Is that correct? So tell us, what is your secret about keeping this, this connection alive? I think for, for us, the secret is that we are always exploring how to make a relationship better. Right, whether we're doing it for us or whether we're talking to somebody or a group, it's always in our minds. So it's something that we're we're living and breathing every day. How do we make this relationship better? And uh, mm. and I think that's why it seems like we're in a new relationship. We get that all the time. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And also, um, so obviously you're in a great relationship. So what inspired you to take this great relationship and actually share it with others to actually help them? What was that transition, and how did you come to that realization? I think we'd, we'd been in a relationship for about four years, I think. And one day we just kind of looked at each other and said, wow, this is amazing, this relationship that we've had. We never, haven't had a harsh word, no arguments, no nothing. We can either just keep enjoying this or we can try to put this all these ideas into a book. And, and with Molly being a book editor and every editor has a book burning inside them, yeah. mm -hmm. um, it was an easy, easy call to make. It was tougher for me because, you know, Feeling that 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 uh, imbalance in education, I, I initially felt like, well, I didn't have that much to contribute. But you know, once we got into the process, I think we realized that we have a really good synergy in terms of how we how we approach things and how we write about them. So I'm I'm assuming this this process of writing the book must have been very connecting for you both. Would Absolutely, that, that be true to assume. Absolutely, I think. It takes up most of the time we're together talking about these ideas because they're fascinating when you're talking about a topic like jealousy mm -hmm. and how different people could approach it in new ways. I mean, that's an exciting topic. It, it gets you kind of... It's kind of charged up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love it. How long yeah, did it take to write the book? It. What's that? How long did it take to write the book and how was the process? 
the first book took us four years. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, yeah. Wow. The soulmate one. Right. Yes. And, right. and were you referring to your own connections or how did you meet? Believe it or not, we met on Craigslist. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just goes yeah. to show you never know. <laughs> That's amazing. Which was the perfect venue for us to meet because mm-hmm. we, there were, we didn't exchange pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just launched into this dialogue about relationships that mm-hmm. hasn't stopped in 20 plus years. Yeah. Wow. And then um, really exciting. By the time we met in person, I was in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a long kind of online exchange before that? About a month. We did. And and again, that's something that most dating coaches would tell you not to do. They tell you to meet as soon as possible. But for us, um, it just worked. It was a fascinating conversation. And when we finally met, the moment I saw his face, I'm like, wow, did I hit the jackpot? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. And then you did this soulmate experience book. Is that first? Yeah. Yeah. Four years. And the new one took seven. <laughs> oh my God, that's incredible. So how, how was that process? Were you just doing it a bit every week or what, what was it like? Or... Well, it was pretty constant. More than a bit every week. And there are so many topics in there that are so sensitive. And we interviewed dozens and dozens of people and coached people on whatever their issues were and had them try out some ideas and report back. So all of that's a really long process. Yeah, because what, what I've seen in, in some dating coaches that they just they just focus on their own relationship as being the blueprint for their success. But I think you need to step outside that and look at other couples as well and look at what what's true of relationships in general. I just went to see um, Jay Shetty in Barcelona on mm. Monday. He was in um, in the theater with his um, Eight Rules for Love. Love. Mm. It was really interesting because. He wasn't just, you know, coming from a perspective of, oh, I found the per- perfect relationship and you can too. It was more about these different statistics and science and all these different statistics about love and breakups. And it was very insightful and a different, you know, taking people's different stories from the audience as well. But I guess you've done that as well. It's not just like focusing on, we, we've got this great relationship, we can share it, but it's, it's a bit more, there's a bit more depth. I think that the the first book was more, you know, what is working for us? How do we, you know, things like we keep expectations to a minimum. That sort of concept um, is what we shared in the Soulmate Experience. But this new book, so universal idea is that if you can create a safe, accepting space, then you can bring all your stuff into it, you know, your insecurities, your fears, your inhibitions, and you can find ways to work with them. And that's why we interviewed so many people because we wanted a broad range of what are people feeling insecure about? What are ways they can work with that together to give as many ideas as possible so that people can start thinking creatively about whatever's coming up in their relationship. So you also coaches then for couples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Coach couples. Do you coach together? Mm-hmm. We do. Generally, she'll you'll take somebody on your own. Yes. But, um, but oftentimes we'll coach together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. That must be really interesting to work together and around this topic, completely or living and breathing this whole. This whole. Yeah. If you weren't into relationships, you probably wouldn't want to hang out with us for very long. <laughs> that's interesting. So when I when I was reading your book, uh, Wild Monogamy, obviously, first of all, the title really caught my attention. 
And especially given the fact that, you know, I've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now and there's a lot more, and I've been a sex, sexual wellness content creator for 14 years. So there's a lot more awareness about, let's say, polyamorous relationships, open relationships. There's a lot of buzz about that. Um, and, and monogamy is getting a kind of bad rap lately. It maybe seems boring for some. So the, the title wild monogamy, it seems, seems very alluring. So can monogamy really be wild? (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, (laughs) If we can find ways to use everything we're coming into the relationship with and everything that comes up in the relationship with, comes up in the relationship, you know, we all have our own interests. We all have things that turn us on. We might not have ever talked about some of those things. If we can find a way to create a space where we can share those things and find a way to explore them, even in a small way. It can be really exciting. We, we can keep finding new ways to you know stretch ourselves together. Yeah, I was, I would uh, describe myself as a almost commitment phobe, um, na- um, naturally monogamous person. Because I, I I think monogamy has to be something that you desire. It's not imposed upon you. You know what I mean? Because otherwise it's kind of, because I had a very strict, you know, a strict Irish Catholic parent. So sometimes some relationships that seem very restricting feels like I'm going back to that time of being 15 and control. Like, where are you? Who are you with? Whereas I think it has to become, you know, come from a place of desire, really, a, a mutual desire. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I have been in open relationships and some things worked for me and some things didn't. And I didn't necessarily come into this thinking we're going to be monogamous, but it's just been so fun and so entertaining and so, gosh, just keeps opening me up Mm -hmm. to feeling better and better about myself, better and better about my sexuality, having more fun together that, you know, this works. That's something I, I do admire from people in the BDSM community or, or the um, polyamorous communities that they they have conversations that tend to be a little bit more provocative or, you know, go beyond some limits that most monogamous or vanilla couples are scared to explore. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Which is why we have so many questions for conversation in that book. Okay. You know, that starts, you know, the, at the beginning we have... Uh, something we call the intimacy inquiry and, you know, warn people, you know, you want to go slowly with this and not just launch right into all of these questions. There were a couple of, we had a lot of couples trying these out when we were writing and two in particular just went headstrong into those questions and started talking about them and in an hour found themselves in breakdown, really such a breakdown. I did too fast to be able to, hold what was coming up from anticipatory from uh, trying out conversing about these topics that they weren't used to talking about. I actually did it um, a couple of weeks ago um, and I found it. Can can you explain what it is for those who don't know what it is? The The intimacy inquiry? Yes. Yes. Questions about all kinds of things in a relationship that people are often afraid to talk about whether that's your insecurities or your sexual history or your desires or your fears. Or your beliefs about how a particular relationship should look. Right. 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 Or, you know, your history with jealousy or what makes you jealous. 
mm-hmm. all of those kinds of conversations. You know, what? where are your areas of shame? So it goes very gently into these things, but then it goes very deeply into them. Because if you can share with your partner something that you feel ashamed about that you've never been able to talk about, then we get to this place where you can start helping each other heal from that. And that's where the real juicy stuff is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's something that that's, um, I've learned very recently, actually, because years ago, I used to kind of feel that the trauma I was experiencing in relationships was adding to my childhood trauma. It's like I was creating new trauma, new vulnerabilities, and that, that made me kind of avoid relationships. Whereas I went to this a spiritual event once, and they talked about relationships relationships being healing, and I was like, really? It just seemed like such a strange concept for me, because it seemed like you're adding to these, maybe maybe not choosing the right ones, maybe the toxic ones are, but it's a very interesting concept to think of relationships being healing, you know? And I think it's kind of like an alchemy. You've got something in the back here talking about um, seeing intimacy issues as perfect opportunities for healing, growth, and pleasure. That's very empowering. You're taking a negative and making it into a, into a positive. Would you like to share anything more about that? Well, you can imagine if you can help your partner overcome a fear or an inhibition, how grateful they're going to be to you because, you know, they've probably carried it around at least since their last relationship. You know, for instance, mm-hmm. when I was young, my father was obsessed with large breasts. Oh, I saw that. Right. Yeah. Right, uh, he yeah. talked about them constantly. He made comments constantly. When we watched television, everything was focused on breasts and rating women for how big their breasts were, you know, what meant how important they were, how desirable they were. And I, small-chested me, I was like, I'm never going to have what it takes to be an attractive, desirable woman. And I carried that idea with me that my breasts were insufficient for all those years till I met you. Mm -hmm. I had never let go of that. And there was an evening when he saw some look on my face and he asked me what was up. And we, you know, established a, a safety in our relationship where we really could talk about anything. And so I just spilled it all that um, I felt insufficient about the size of my breast. Yeah. And so um, that prompted me to do a little uh, a little exercise. Oh, yeah, share. Please share. That sounds juicy. It was, a, it was a long, actually, it was a good part of a day, wasn't it? Uh, where, you know, I, I had to show her that her breasts for her were perfect. And so to do that, I photographed her in all different, positions, you know, undressed, undressed, in the shower. Um, And then we, you know, we went over these pictures and I showed her what I saw in them. Yeah. And how, to me, they were perfect. Yeah. And he got me to see them through his eyes. Mm -hmm. And he also did a lot of tactile, sensual kinds of experiences where Close your eyes. Stop thinking about how they look. And I just want you to focus on the feeling that's happening here. And he did all kinds of things with implements and water. And, you know, honestly, it is so true that by the end of that evening, I had let go of this idea that I'd carried around for almost 35 years. Yeah. Wow. And I never thought about it again. Whether it's with me or whether we go to a clothing optional spa, she's she's totally fine. I never thought about it again. I never had this idea that my breasts should be bigger. Like I see the perfection. He got me to see that. 
So did that, were you closed off in terms of the pleasure in that area before then? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. Um, so what are the rewards and benefits of a monogamous relationship in your opinion and experience? Well, I think one one thing, and it doesn't have to be monogamous to do this, but we really have this opportunity to create this really this safe container where we can be anything. We can show up as anything. We can share anything that's going on with us, anything that we've had trouble with. And I don't know that it would be harder in a multi-person relationship, but it there's something about this dynamic that just makes that really easier for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we imagine having other relationships and we think, wow, that would just, it would take so much, right? To do, to do the time, so much time and energy to do them justice, right? Because we would want to do other relationships like we did our own. Yeah. Mm. And so we keep coming back to the fact that, no, this is, this is what works for us. This is, we're super happy doing what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that we, you know, one of the, the last chapter in that book called Monogamy with Benefits, mm-hmm. we're not afraid of having experiences around or with other people. It's just not something we're going but, after, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not so, that drawn to it. So we do, we do share a few experiences we've had that are very mild, um, but absolutely have added so much to our relationship that we can have those experiences and for me if it seems like more a sacred a safe space more or more sacred you know, i i think that's my kind of that's a good I, I like to kind of cake create a cocoon you know and when you only desire that that one person they give you so much especially when it's like you talked about um i made a tiktok earlier i just um, read a little bit out of your book um about the four dimensions four arenas of sexuality like when someone's getting into your headspace or you know it's it's transcending the physical it's very difficult to replace that connection you know when someone's in your heart or in your head you know mm-hmm. physical it's kind of you know it's a much you know more shallow plane in general i did have this experience i um when i was in a long-term relationship and we were monogamous for a good period of time a number of years and when we decided to open it up the minute I had an experience with someone else, this is just what this is just my own experience and what happened to me. I felt myself disconnecting from mm. my primary partner in a way that never came back. I I just I could feel it happening. Like, oh, my interest is so much over here now. I am so intrigued with this. This will take a lot of work to keep this connection strong, but it never had the strength that it had before. I mean, that's just how I operate, that all my attention wanted to be over here because this was so exciting and this was so new. So, yeah. Well, I think my way of resolving that would be, um, I've done in the past, is is role play, just becoming someone else. Have you experimented with that? Because that can be very exciting, you know, like doing different roles, different names, different person, but you're still the same people, but, you know, exploring different characteristics and personalities. We've actually done that quite a bit um, <laughs> about the time of the Mars. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when we pretended that, uh, you know, I was uh, hired for the evening. Oh, and, cool. <laughs> and we had this conversation knowing that other people could hear us. 
around there. Okay. It was hilarious. The couple next to us was just so intrigued with, oh my God, this woman hired this guy for the evening. And they, the, it just made us go on and on and on. You could see them leaning, you know, to hear better what they're talking about. <laughs> and it made us, it just stirred us up. We just got, we just went wild with that. I asked him about his previous encounters and he asked me about, you know, previous service providers I'd hired. And we just went on and on for so long that night. And it got us all hot. And I think we went right back home and had sex. <laughs> I remember watching a film years ago. I just I just didn't see the whole thing, but I just remember seeing a snippet of this film where there was a woman in a stark, smoky bar, sitting at the bar, and all the guys were leering at her. And there's one guy in the corner looking a bit more, and he came over and bought her a drink. The next scene, you see them having sex somewhere in a car. Then they go home and pay the babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so cool. It's going to go out and be strangers, you know. I guess it's similar to what you've what you just 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 yeah. described there. Especially yeah. if you're doing it in public, it has an extra um, and different names, different clothes, or whatever have you. It's exciting. Mm. Yeah, we have done different names. Just uh, just on the spur of the moment, I once we were talking to a guy in a bar again, and I just told him that I told him that I'd been a stripper in Florida and I put myself through college as a stripper and he was so fascinated and I just had to keep making up more stuff about my story. It was hilarious. It's so fun. And you know, I suppose people could think, well, you're you're doing this terrible thing, you're lying to this guy, but he was quite entertained and we were oh, yeah. so... what was the harm? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, let me see what else I can find here in my list of questions. So one chapter that really intrigued me was the one about the healing power of eroticism. We've just talked about how relationships can be healing, but what about erotica? How can we use eroticism to heal? So eroticism is, you know, basically inspiring sexual desire. And that's exactly what he did when he was working with me around my breasts, right? Mm -hmm. He made that such an erotic experience. And that concept we've taken to so many couples when somebody has an issue, this is a great example, if they have an issue with a body part, mm -hmm. you know, my stomach or my butt or something is not right. And if their partner loves them and loves that part of them or it anyway wants them to feel good about it, there's so many things they can do, making love to that part, finding ways to... Get them to see it as Joe did. Get them to see it through their eyes. Like, let go of your conception of it for a moment and listen to my truth as I describe how sexy it is to look at your ass. You know, that kind of thing. Making a, it erotic, this part of you that you've rejected and getting it to feel that desire and getting it, however they can do it, and that's why we give so many examples in there because there are so many different ways this could be approached to be able to get them to feel your desire for them through that body part. Amazing. And what advice would you give to a couple who have lost the spark? Is it possible to get it back? I guess you must have many clients, many of your clients must have that issue and that's why they come to you, I would assume, is that correct? You know, we we find that we like working with people who still like each other. I think mm -hmm. when you get to a place where there are so a relationships in breakdown and there are so many issues, mm -hmm. I find that you know I'm not a therapist. We're not therapists. 
that's a more difficult situation. But if yeah. they still like each other, then <laughs> we can help them. Then there are ways. There are yeah, especially if they both want to improve their relationship. You know, they both recognize that hey, something sort of it's kind of slipped away that connection, which is really how do we get it back? Right, you know? it's mm -hmm. so common because we just get into our routines and do our things, and day after day, so we've got to try something different. We've got to find the edges of our comfort zones and play there. And that's one of the things that we take couples through in our book is how to find where your comfort zones are, and that. That's one of the reasons that we want them to have all those conversations because one of them will be comfortable with these ideas, these things you could do sexually. One of them will be comfortable with these. And we want to find the place where they could stretch a little bit together and play. We call it playing at the edges of your erotic comfort zones. You read that at the beginning. Well, why is that so important, do you think, taking it to limits? When, when, when we're newly with someone, it's all an exploration. It's all, it's all exciting. Yeah, it's all, it's all on the edge, right? Because a, you don't know what's coming next. Because you haven't ever done that before. Right. But when we've done it a thousand times the same way, <laughs> you know, of course we're bored. <laughs> edge is a little bit farther out. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Wow. So, what's your um? What about a sex a sexless relationship? What would your number one tip to be to get that intimacy back? Because I guess that happens to a lot of people. Does. And again, I think it depends on the quality of the relationship for us um, to be able to have suggestions is, are they both wanting to get that back? Because if both of them aren't, that's really tough. Yeah. Mm. And even one of them doesn't want to. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, so often it seems that the best thing is a change in the structure of the relationship and that it's not going to you know, there is no fix for that that's going to get them back to where they were. So I, I, it sounds like kind of a downer, but I think that's so often the case when one person is just no longer interested yeah, and person's striving, struggling to get them interested. And it's like one of the things you have to look at is the possibility that that's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's a horror, horror, really hard situation there, sexual incompatibility, that rejection and also from the other side, the the frustration, like you know, it's, it's very very hard. And um, so, it's so common, right? As yeah. We get older and libido diminishes for one person quicker than another, and <laughs> you know, so it's a it's a challenge that a lot of people are going to face. Is there anything, anything you can share about aging libidos that, that to keep it? Because obviously, well, we how we have sex changes over time. And you can't just do the same thing as you were when you were 18. I mean, it's, it all changes. So, And do you have any tips about that? Right. Yeah. Um, one of the stories that's so moving to me even now reading about is a couple that met um, and he was physically unable to get an erection because of medical issues. Mm -hmm. And she had, um, her vagina had gotten to the point where she couldn't actually have penetration. So here's this couple who thought when they first got together, well, what do we, what do we, what can we do? There's nothing we can do because sex means penis yeah, and vagina. Yeah. <laughs> and they started to just say, no, we're going to find new ways. And their exploration together, which was so lovely that they wrote a whole piece for us that we included in the book of, wow, they, these two people have an incredible sexual connection and incredible sex life that goes way beyond anything either of them had experienced when they had 
fully operational body parts. And so inspiring to me that as time goes on, we just have to keep exploring and forget these ideas of what sex is, these very limited ideas of that sex equals the things we've given names to, these sex acts we've given names to, and that's it. Mm. The thing that can kill the passion is actually living with someone and getting all those domestic chores day to day. And is it, Do you have any tips about how to make those things sexy? Yeah, do them naked. Okay. Because I don't, I was on a TV thing recently here in Spain and um, there was a woman, I think she's in her seventies and she's very happily married because there was this, a panel of all different people of different ages and different relationship statuses. And this woman was saying that, you know, they sleep naked. That was one of the tips. And whenever, you know, she's chopping the vegetables, there's always, always, always kissing with her husband. They've been together, you know, since she was in her twenties. Wow. Yes. So yeah. Do, do this idea of being intentional about it. Mm -hmm. And thinking about it and making an effort to notice. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I love to do is when I see him doing <laughs> domestic chores, I take pictures of things I like. When he and he bends over a lot cleaning things. It's just something he <laughs> and he's with an apron, with a with a naked <laughs> <and> an apron. <laughs> and I take pictures of it to remind myself, this is my really good looking partner. He's in this position scrubbing the floor right now and his ass looks amazing and <laughs> I post those pictures with captions it's one of the ways that I keep my eyes open to his attractiveness I don't let myself not see it hmm. okay that's amazing so what about in the jealousy I was intrigued about you start, you talk about um you know rational versus irrational jealousy could you explain the difference and how to deal with both so most people that we talk to who are feeling jealous are having what we call irrational jealousy, which is jealousy brought on by mostly the thoughts they're thinking about a situation, not something that's actually happening. Like, oh, my boyfriend's paying attention to that attractive woman over there. And that's, that's causing, it's not that that's causing me jealousy. It's my insecurity and the things that I'm telling myself about what that means that are causing my jealousy. So that's what we call irrational jealousy. There's really not anything physically happening to be worried about. Rational jealousy is more when, you know, your partner comes home and says they've cheated on you, right? And I, I will feel all kinds of things that I might call jealousy, but it's, you know, you, you've just been... You can feel insecure, you can feel afraid of what this means for the future and all of that stuff. That's more of a rational experience. And so where the work is to be done is with that irrational jealousy, which is generally around this fear of loss, this these insecurities we have, these ideas we've been, been fed by our culture that I should be the one and only person you're ever attracted to. If not, you should be jealous. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I guess the irrational is kind of when someone's overstepped those boundaries, you know, gone against those those agreements. Right, yeah. right. And there's a... and that can be a little tougher to to deal with, mm -hmm. right? All that underlying stuff. How did this happen? What wasn't going on in a relationship? You know, so so yeah, the irrational jealousy is is, is it's something what... that you can work with. Yeah. It's something that you can get better at. And it's something that if you've got a great relationship that your partner can actually even help you 
Okay, so you, you hinted earlier about how it can be a good thing or could be a kind of juicy thing. So could you could you expand yeah. now on that? Yeah. Right. So if I'm if I have let's say that I have a fear that Joe's interested in women with large breasts. Let's say that's yeah. still playing around in my mind. It's not. But when we go to a party, I'm going to pick out all the women with large breasts and be monitoring him to make sure he's not watching them or looking down their chest or and. If I can talk to him about it and say, I have this insecurity, and could you help me with this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all she has to do, right, is tell me what she's thinking, and uh, and I'll work with her on it. So how sure. would you work with me at a party if I had told you that? Well, I, I, I would probably tell you that I'm going to look at all women, whatever the size of their breasts, <laughs> and why don't you stand over here with me, and we'll do it together. Mm -hmm. Right. So that you can see it's not a there's no threat. It's just me as a guy looking around, finding attractive people and acknowledging that yeah. to myself even or to her, you know, it's. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's there's always ways to work with jealousy. Um, you going to tell a story about. How well, I, you know, just, you know, I, I've worked with it so much in my life that it's very hard for me to feel jealous. So I actually like. Go out, go, go do something for me to yeah. Go flirt with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> She's always asking me when I come back from the pool, well, did you flirt with anybody today? <laughs> like wanting to hear it. I do. Wanting to hear that, feel that little bit of jealousy. Yeah, it takes, it takes quite a bit. Yeah. So if I, if we're out and he strikes up a conversation with someone who's attractive, I love that. Like, I, Really? Tell it, explain. That's very intriguing. Yeah, so, so uh, there was a time when he went up to a to order us drinks, and a woman came up to him and started talking to him, and it was obvious to me she was, you know, wanting to see if he was single. And instead of, you know, I know some people would like rush up to like protect their interests in that situation, but I actually walked a ways behind her so that I could look at him from the perspective she was seeing him from. So I'm looking over her shoulder at him, going. Yeah, he looks cute. Like if I just saw him in a bar and I hadn't met him and I was interested in finding someone to go hang out with, like I'd be interested. Yeah. You should go home with. Yeah, he's cute. <laughs> and I I want that conversation to go on and keep going. I want I want to get that feeling. That, that, that just enough jealousy. Just enough jealousy. Well, why? Why, why do, you, do you get off on it? Or, or what's the... It's exciting. The, you know... The risk. Logically, there's no difference between the feeling that comes up with jealousy and the feeling of excitement, right? Okay. The heart's beating, the blood pressure goes up. There's no difference physiologically. So I can feel those feelings and interpret it as passion and desire for him. Okay. Interesting. So when did you um, release um, Wild Monogamy? When did it come out? Is it new? Month ago? Yeah. Okay, it's super new. Okay, amazing. And are you thinking about the next book already? We are going to do a revision of our first book, The Soulmate Experience, okay. about 12 years. And there's a lot that we've learned because we've been together for 12 more years and we've coached a lot of people and it could use some updating. So refreshing. It's still it's still very popular. It sells very well. And I am I really want to put new material in there to be more helpful. Absolutely, because I mean, things have changed so much in the last 10 or 15 years even. I mean, with um, yeah. with apps, you know, dating apps, and this, it's changed so much. I mean, it used to be, I've never done a dating app ever. 
because I've just been too afraid of um, the location things. I used to be quite well known here in Barcelona on the local radio and stuff. I didn't want to have my picture with within 500 meters. You know what I mean? I just that whole thing just made me feel a bit a bit not so good. And also, it's very reductive. Just picture, age, and you know, a sentence. Uh, but then there's now there's new apps. There's like Hinge, which is a bit more depth. And there's but uh, Bumble. There's just all these different apps mm. all of a sudden. And um, I think the way we meet people is just change so much people are not relying on just going to a bar or, or a club on a saturday night it's um it's just more diverse i suppose there's, there's a lot to a lot to think about there yeah and then with covid you know that that brought on even more challenges in terms of meeting people in person yeah I, there are some apps where you don't have to put photographs of your face which i quite like because again we met on craigslist where you didn't need it yeah of your face and i appreciate that and i appreciate not having to fill out boxes of all of these expected ways of yeah ways of defining yourself and what you want i remember when i first went on craigslist and searching that searching the post that i liked that i didn't know what i wanted yeah and that this was an so what really grabbed your attention about from his ad then? So I'm, I'm assuming that Joe, you put the ad and then she responded. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. What yep. was what was it about the ad? What let's <laughs> share. Uh, the subject line was, "Yes, I'm married, but I'd like what my wife has." Which is uh, affairs. She was okay. Three seven affairs, like and not agreed upon affair. No, no, and it was a sure. sticking point for much of our relationship. And um, I, there was a point in time when I finally succumbed. You know, I guess you could say to like, okay, this is this is who she is. And I stood back and I looked at, okay, what is she getting out of this? And and I, I could understand. You know, the things you were getting, we'd been, in, you know, married for a number of years and we had kids and it probably wasn't that exciting. And, you know, so she's looking for some excitement. And and I thought, yeah, I, I get it. I'm, I've been on, in the same relationship with this lack of excitement. And so rather than make my wife wrong again... I basically said, okay, you can, you can have this. I, I, I get it. And I also want to experience this. And he put out a post and I met him. Okay. So <laughs> what, was, what was it about that post that intrigued you then? Uh, the I loved two things. One, I loved that it was so positive. Uh, he was just so honest in this post. He just was, he seemed such a sweetheart to be so honest about what was going on with him and what he'd tried to do in that situation to make things better. And also the idea of being with someone who'd been with with a cheating partner for well over a decade, right? Yeah. Yeah. And being the person I am, which is, you know, I I couldn't do that. I couldn't mm -hmm. do, you know, something that I told you I would do wouldn't do, I couldn't do. So I knew I was a really safe person for him. And I just thought this is gonna be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was like a virgin with her. Yeah. Okay. Why we started talking about relationships because of the content of his post. And okay. So about your limits and boundaries came from that, about monogamy, mm -hmm. I suppose. Is that correct? 
I it wasn't speci- it wasn't explicit, right? But it was definitely my in my nature to hold a, a really safe place for him where he he would just know that that was never going to happen here. Wow, there's a lot of healing there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So then, kind of, you kind of got got separated, divorced, and then you kind of got together. Was that is that what happened then? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Twenty years again. Twenty. <laughs> oh, it was a beautiful story. So, a couple of quick questions for you. What is the book that changed your life apart from your own? <laughs> mm. <laughs> Do you have mine? Hmm. Um, no, I was probably. It's probably the relationship. I took as opposed oh, to a book. Yeah. Um, I took a very intensive relationship course mm-hmm. trying to make things work with my wife. And that was a relationship that was too far gone by that point. But there were so many great things that I learned about relationships in that course that when we met, it was like the communication just flowed so well because she was right on the same page as as I was. And uh, mm. I think that, re- that really helped us to start this relationship is, you know, we found so much common ground. Mm-hmm. How about you, Molly? What, what was that? Uh, I would have to say the power of now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've not read that yet, but it's on my list. It's uh... yeah. I, I've read it many times and I will pick it up at any time and read a sentence and just carry the sentence with me through the day. And it just, it just, makes me feel so calm and connected to the world. It's just beautiful. It's just poetry. Amazing. I might have to buy that. (laughs) Um, So which phrase, affirmation, or quote do you live by? Mm. I wish I thought I had time to think of this because there are so many. Yeah. (laughs) One is from your relationship teacher. Which one? It's all working. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's that? Sorry? Yeah, it... Just that it's it's all all working. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know that that this is just where it's supposed to be. It's moving in the direction it's supposed to go, and uh, that's very centering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there's so many that I use, I can't think of one <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> what about a phrase of your that defines your relationship or a philosophy? How would you? Yeah, I, I would have to say that it's being in a staying in a place of gratitude, and that's uh-huh. we get to have this time together each day. I, I just it's not something I have to force the gratitude. I just have to tune tune my attention for a moment to go. This is really special that we have this connection, uh-huh. and just thinking that mm. makes me my heart open. Yeah, really. yeah, beautiful, sweet. <laughs> hmm. Amazing. So where can people find you? Molly and Joe, M-A-L-I and Joe, we're on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and mollyandjoe.com. We have some free books you can download there. You have more free books? What what, what, what do you have? <laughs> what do you have to download on your website? Uh, uh, three e-books okay. um, that are all about relationships. Okay. Having better and what were what the titles of those books? Um, gosh, what are the titles? Uh, again, I'm coming up. I'm coming up blank. Uh, are they people who have relationships and to improve them, or, or what? Either way, okay. you know, it always starts with yourself. Absolutely, yeah. and and everything, even while monogamy, is a great book for single people. 
mm-hmm. because it really helps you think about what I want and what's possible in a relationship. Definitely sets the stage. Yeah. So a crash course in love, sex, and intimacy. That's one of the ones we have on there. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a good a good ebook. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been a real pleasure and a huge inspiration speaking to you both. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. It's been great. The book I'm reading now is Venus in Furs by Leopold von Sacker Masuk. I'm sure I haven't pronounced the author's name correctly there, but please forgive me. And this book, the was the inspiration of the word masochism. And it tells the story of Severin and Venus. And the, also the, the, the song Venus in Furs by Velvet Underground talks about this as well. It's based on this. It's kind of loosely based on a true story as well. So Severin, he calls himself a suprasensual, I think, something like that. And he meets this rich young widow who wears furs and she's a redhead and she's very cruel and he kind of um, sees, he's, she's his muse. And the reason why I love this book so much is that it really awakened my sapiosexuality. And sapiosexuality is about being attracted to intellect. And this is like going back to what I mentioned earlier about those four arenas of love or sex or attraction that um, Molly and Joe talked about. You know, you've got the physical, which is probably the easiest, most accessible one. Then you've got the heart, the mind, and the soul. And um, I think when you're in someone's head, it's very, I mean, I think um, it's very, it's a unique experience. And that's something that really attracted me to the world of fetishism and BDSM at the beginning, because it wasn't just about a physical thing. It was a mental connection. And my form of living BDSM, which I don't practice now, was always very intellectual. It was very like, for example, lots of mind games, lots of role plays, lots of wit um, and and mental provocations. And this book really, uh, really planted that seed for me. And it was given to me by um, my first ever boyfriend, who was also a sapiosexual, it took me to very, very, how would I say, <laughs> he took me to the edge and it got it ended in a very, very bad way. And I have no idea why, what he's doing now, but um, he's completely out of my life and he's, uh, yeah, completely gone. But um, but the, the seeds he planted in me were lasted a lifetime. And this book, um, I kind of, it, it, it really struck a chord with me because I wanted him to kind of think of me the way Severin thought of Venus in this book and this pure adoration, this power that she had, because I was, you know, going from virginity, trying to become a dominatrix kind of thing. And I didn't really know what I was doing. So I felt very lost and I wasn't as sure of myself as I might have been, might be today, which is obviously very normal when you are um, starting out in your sexual discovery. Another thing I loved about this book, that it wasn't about sex. It wasn't about the penis and vagina sex. There was no touching. There was no nudity. There's a part of the book when quite later on, she comes out of her bath or something. And then you realize that, wow, that's the first time he sees her naked. There's a lot of um, mind games and lots of whipping in it as well, which is definitely, definitely not my thing. But the whip is a very strong um, symbol of the book. 
Um, so yeah, the, the punishments that Severin receives from Venus. And she deprives him of a lot of things as well. There's a time when she's, he's his, her slave for a while and um, he can't see her, but he can hear her. Also, they go on a train journey and she goes first class, he goes third class. You know, it's a lot of um, these different things which might not seem erotic to most people, but I just love the <clears throat> the mind games that are played out uh, between the characters. I want to read a small extract of when they actually meet. Let me just clear my throat. <clears> throat> we we'll have to get this. We have to get this down right because this, this is like a very special book for me. And um, also, I was thinking, wow, I look like her. I am her. I need to be her. Anyway, here we go. There is a soft rustling in the twigs and blades, and the pages of my book rustle on the terrace. Likewise, there is a rustling. A woman's dress. She is there. Venus. But without furs. No. This time, it is merely the widow. And yet, Venus. Oh, what a woman. As she stands there, in her light, white morning gown, looking at me, her slight figure seems full of poetry and grace. She is neither large nor small. Her head is alluring, piquant, in the sense of the period of the French Marquise, rather than formally beautiful. What enchantment and softness, what roguish charm play about her non-too-small mouth. Her skin is so infinitely delicate that the blue veins show through everywhere, even through the muslin covering her arms and bosom. How abundant her red hair! It is red, not blonde or golden yellow. How diabolically and yet tenderly it plays around her neck. Now her eyes meet mine like green lightning. They are green, these eyes of hers, whose power is so indescribable, green. But as are precious stones or deep, unfathomable mountain lakes. She observes my confusion, which has even made me discourteous, for I have remained seated and still have my cap on my head. She smiles roguishly. Finally, I rise and bow to her. She comes closer and bursts out into loud, almost childlike laughter. I stammer, as only a little dilettante or great big donkey can do on such an occasion. Thus our acquaintance began. The divinity asks for my name and mentions her own. Her name is Wanda von Dunajew, and she is actually my Venus. Wow, I love it. Yes, I just love that book so much. And yeah, this is definitely something I recommend. It's also a very short book, but very full of adventure. There is so much happening in this book. I also have the book that's written from um, the woman who inspired the Venus story. And I haven't read it yet, actually. It's called Confession de ma vie. It's in French. And I, I bought it on Amazon a while ago. I must get round to writing that because there's always a story behind a book and it's not always as erotic 
or as lighthearted. But anyway, that's that's um, that's Venus in Furs. And if you're interested in, you know, the history of sexuality and where the word masochism comes from, and especially sapiosexuality, this is the book, Venus in Furs by Leopold von Sacker Masoch. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy. Find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, 
visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening, have an orgasmic week, and make sure every day is a climax.